Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Anthony is going to be speaking to us today, and we're going to be mixing up a little bit. So we're going to kick off with something that he's recorded for us, and then he's going to come up and finish by speaking to us. And you're going to need a Bible today, and we're going to be in the letter of 1 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible, you can download uh, the Bible app onto your phone, and you want to be in the first letter to Timothy or 1 Timothy, it should come up in your phone. And um, so let's watch the first part now. Hey, so good to see you. This is different, isn't it? A different way for me to be able to bring the teaching today. I'm going to be doing it in a variety of ways. And thank God for technology that allows us to be able to, to do it like this so that we can grow them. The question is, in all kinds of ways, as, as disciples of Jesus, how do we grow? How do we grow best? And how do we grow the church of the living God? This is the, the title of the series that we're in, which we started looking at last week with uh, incredible teaching from Lucy Pepe. I encourage you to go back and to look over that. And um, as part of WTC myself, one of the ways in which I often teach is through this medium called Loom. And it's one way to be able to get through some material in a different way and using technology to do so. What would St. Paul have given for the opportunity to be able to um, teach like this and to not have to wait in prison for somebody to come along and visit him so he could dictate a letter and then then have to ride a horse or a camel or walk or whatever to some church and deliver it like he did uh, to the church at Ephesus, which Timothy, uh, his true son in the faith, as he called him, uh, was, was charged to lead. Um, we're looking at how we grow. It's a really big question in terms of uh, how we grow. And I'm inviting you to, to um, find in your Bible 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read it shortly and then I'm going to teach from it. But I just wanted to kind of set it up a little bit in terms of are we just here to read the Bible? Are we just here to do let's listen to a Bible passage and let's think him you know maybe I can tell you some stories and illustrations about it etc and and yeah that's great it's a good way of doing stuff I believe in preaching but is that all there is in terms of how we grow as disciples and maybe because we've become so dependent on that we've actually ended up being we've stunted our growth how is it that we grow as Christians and, and the apostle Paul used a variety of different methods in order to be able to do that he's writing to Timothy so that Timothy will grow as a leader and we've got this thing called a discipleship growth path there's a bunch of people already we've got two courses running at ivy at the moment we've already had one where we're helping people and to grow as disciples who make disciples because that's really what we want to be we don't want to just be church goers we don't want that for you we want everybody to be growing to the full extent of everything that God has placed in you, the potential for you to change the world in the name of Jesus. And the only way that he's ever going to grow you or me, it's important for us to recognize that growth happens in two ways. That, that what's really important is right belief. And when you get the right belief, you also, it's no good having just right belief without right behavior. And the, the two are totally linked together. And this comes through so much as we're going to be studying 1 Timothy. I think we're probably going to go right into 2 Timothy after this too, the next letter that he wrote. And we're going to see over and over again that Paul is so concerned that people in this church recognize there's wrong and there's right things to believe. There's wrong and there's right ways to behave. And in the end, we want to grow people of godly character. And the word godliness in various forms is the, is the word that comes through more than anything 
any in First Timothy. Godliness is the goal. Godliness is the aim. It's all about godliness. And we're going to be unpacking what does it look to live and to think and to be godly. Because these two things are inextricably linked. So how is Paul going to help Timothy to do this so that then he can in turn help others in this amazing but crazy church in Ephesus that he's leading that's that's kind of pulling in all kinds of different directions and there's weird false teaching going on and weird practices that people are trying to bring into the church people are in danger of going astray in various ways so he wants to help Timothy to know here's what to believe here's what to do in order to to do Christianity to be a Jesus follower, what everybody else is thinking. So the one way in which he's doing it is now that he's writing him a letter with some instructions. And this is like a a semi-personal letter that he's writing to Timothy that's also going to be read by the, the rest of the churches in Ephesus. And again, it's not just one church. It isn't like he's, he's, the churches in Ephesus is all these house churches that were meeting all over the city. Like we're not just, we're, we're a church in Manchester, part of the church in Manchester. So it's great to write letters. It's great to be able to study and to be able to look at doctrine and all those kind of things. And, and that's what he's, Paul is doing, giving some instruction to him. But most of this is not doctrinal. Most of that is Timothy's already learned by being with Paul for such a long time before. And people um, now what he's wanting to address, most scholars are going to agree that he's, he's addressing some very specific issues here in this Ephesus Ephesian church. And later on, he write, you know, he does at different points write some doctrinal stuff to the church. But really, he's he's addressing things that are not universal for every church at every time in every place. So, yes, this is the inspired word of God. But we also have to be aware of the context in which it is being written, the place it's being written to, the people it's being written to, the time in which it's been it's been written and that doesn't equally apply to everybody all the time. And part of the, the fun for me of uncovering the truths in the Bible is that we can look and we can, we can see, well, what does that mean when they say that? And who, what would it have meant to the people who heard it in the first instance? It's like I could tell you that recently here in the city, the Red Devils scored a great victory over the noisy neighbours. And if you know anything about Manchester football, you'll know exactly what that meant. But if you don't, if you were 2,000 years on hearing about that, you're going to wonder what kind of battle it was that, that took place. And you could come up with all kinds of things in order to be able to say, well, this is what it means and that's what it means. So it's good for us in any Bible study to study the letter, even if it's not addressed to us, but to recognise it isn't always directly addressed to us because lots of it will apply to us, but we have to apply it in in, in ways that are uh, correct according to the text. Uh, And knowing about the history and the context will really help. And of course, these letters are pointing out and he's going to look at, you know, Bible teaching. He's going to talk about authority and leadership and who gets to do what. But that isn't the only way that Paul is going to be helping Timothy or has helped Timothy to grow as a disciple and as a leader. We know that over the years... Paul has worked with him and grown him in right belief and right behaviour by equipping him, by, um, you know, by explaining to him and by giving him experience. 
it starts out with, you know, there was a, you can read about in Acts chapter 16 how Paul meets Timothy, he's this young guy, and he takes him under his wing. Timothy's name means one who honours God. And he says he's actually already been taught, Timothy's already been taught by some women. He makes this really clear. He's been taught and brought up to know stuff about Jesus and about the faith by his, his mother and his grandmother. And they were his teachers. So did Paul think women should teach Yes. Did he think that he should teach Timothy? Yes. Let's get that really clear from the outset. And then, uh, and, and it was interesting because actually that was not generally the case in those days because women, uh, uh, well, in a Jewish context, the men would tend to do most of the study. And, uh, but except the, the background here is Greek, it's pagan. Timothy himself was not a, a Jewish. He was he was actually, uh, you know, his dad was um, uh, was a Greek, and his and his mum was was Jewish. Uh, so he had this kind of mixed heritage going on. Um, but his father, who was Greek, who may have died before Paul even met him, before he kind of mentored him, um, in those days. In, in, in Gentile societies, it was usual that the woman would take the lead. The women would take the lead with regard to religion. That was generally the case. So it would have been natural for Eunice, his mother, and his grandmother, Lois, who were both devout Jews, but they became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in that setting, they, they instructed him, and Paul commends that. But then he took him under his wing, and he said, I'm gonna, you know, he's going to make you like my son. I'm going to grow you. I'm going to uh, you know, connect with you. And he takes him through these stages. He doesn't always stay at a son. He actually, first of all, is a son for a while, and that's what he is, my truth and the faith. But then later on, uh, something else happens. He, he, he says, because you know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose is. You know my faith and my patience, my, my love and my endurance, because he's like gone with him through all of this. In the end, if you read the book of Romans, Paul commends Timothy and calls him my fellow worker. And he calls him like his co-laborer. So he's gone from being young in the faith and disciple to be himself being a disciple who then goes on and makes disciples and, be, and is a leader. Now, how does that best happen? Well, rather than just giving him lots of doctrinal uh, theological instruction and teaching, he's writing here more about the pastoral uh, the, the, the practical issues that he's got to deal with in this particular church that is very much in danger of being derailed by false teachers. And so because the main way that he knows Timothy is going to grow is actually by experience. He's going to learn. You have the hard stuff that you've got to learn. You can only learn it by experience. The best way to grow is by practice. It's not just by hearing some things. It's you've got to be a doer of the word, making mistakes, having hard stuff to deal with. It's all part of how we actually grow. Um, and, and it's good to have, you know, this is generally like it looks like an ideal pattern. The best way to learn is, is actually that we have loads of experience and we get some explanation and we are equipped to be able to put that into practice. But is that the way the church has always done it? No, the church hasn't always done it like that. We've been very high on explanation. We've maybe talked a little about, about equipping, but how much experience do people have in terms of actually living out the faith? And Paul recognises 
how he's how he's going to grow is by apprenticeship it's it's through being a disciple who makes disciples and um there's something we've talked about here at ivy before which is that actually we need to encourage one another to be able to grow in various ways and the way that you do that is by observation but also by getting involved and having a go and making a mistake. And we want to have this at every level in everything, whether you're in a grow group and any kind of serving team that we're on and in leadership. Myself, I want to be mentoring other people. I want to be providing a model as well, as best I can, of what leadership and following Jesus looks like. And this all, as you look at it, you realise this isn't just head, it's about heart. The two really matter. Those both are being a, a, a really matter that we've got, again, right belief and right behaviour in order to be able to get godly growth. And the opposite is also true. Whenever you find out that there's, there's bad doctrine in a church, bad teaching in a church, you're going to find that there's wrong behaviour that takes place. There's going to be a lot of sin involved in that too. It will come, it will, it will come out in the end. It's always that the wrong beliefs end up to the wrong behaviour. And at the same time, wrong behaviour, the more I do it, I start to believe it's okay. I start to excuse myself. And I'm not going to grow in the end, if that's the case. That's why we encourage you to learn in different ways. And this is one of them. You know, we want to be able to, to help you to be able to grow as a, as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, in a moment, I'm going to be reading this teaching but the, the, and, and doing some specifics around the text. So do get your Bible open and find First Timothy chapter 2. Remembering that in the chapter beforehand, as we've seen, that, that Paul has been talking about wrong teaching in the church, false teachers that are in the church at Ephesus. He names a couple. He's, he's actually able to name a couple of people and says these are people that have been thrown out in the past because they're, they're wrong beliefs and, and are going to lead to wrong behavior and, and it's going to stunt the growth of the church and that cannot be tolerated and he says to Timothy you've got to fight the good fight of the faith over this you know you've got to fight on your hands to be able to grow as a, as a Christ follower and as, as somebody who's trying to live holy in this life um, it, with such spiritual battles to go through and then he and after talking directly about those false leaders then he says therefore and somebody said whenever you see a therefore you need to look at what it's there for it's like he's saying now therefore because of that I urge And he starts talking about the necessity of prayer, as we'll see, as we read it in a moment. We've got to pray really hard. And then he talks about some issues around what that prayer leads to. And I'm going to look at the passage in just a few minutes. But I just wanted to say beforehand, isn't it interesting how we can have all these different ways that we grow? One of the things recently that's happened for us is that uh, we've got a little dog, a beautiful little dog, and we love her to bits, but uh, she was a puppy, and she was doing all the kind of stuff that you wish puppies didn't do. And then somebody told Zoe about a, um, a basically a, a, a behavioural class for dogs, and she was like, well, uh, that won't be happening now because you can't do that during lockdown. But this person said, oh, no, it's all gone online, and you can do it online. So we looked at that, and we ended up paying something to join this thing where they send us a video in the week. We get the instruction that tells us the right belief and the right behaviour, the way, the things that, that, you, that you might think are a really good way to train the dog. That is a very bad way to train the dog. What's the right behaviour? What's the wrong behaviour that you want to encourage? How do you reward the right? How do you stop the wrong? Give you all this teaching about, you know, getting the dog not to run off and leave you in the middle of the park, how to stop it pooing everywhere, biting your ankles, ripping up all the stuff. It's all there. 
But then, rather than just having that head knowledge and only having that, then they say, and on Saturday, we're going to get into little groups together and we're going to have an hour. And if you've got any questions, you can come with your questions about this specific topic. And then we're going to be practicing. We're going to be putting these things into practice and we'll observe you as you do them, as you're trying to get the dog to come to you and as you, as you get them to sit and roll over and whatever else it is that you're going to do. And our, we're soon going to get our dog riding a unicycle. So we've got all these different things that we're looking to do to train. And this is really what disciples do. Disciples go into training and right belief, right behavior, plus practice. If I was going to add another thing in, not just knowing about it, but doing it. And what we are trying to encourage in this, in these, in, as we move into the next kind of church that we're going to be, this hybrid church, we're going to maximize the very best stuff that we can from the internet. And, and various other technologies to help you to be able to grow, not just for a little hour or so on a Sunday when we gather together with people. And we do want to be able to do that as much as we possibly can in the future, when it's safe, when we're able to, when we, we, we want to gather together in, in various ways like we used to. But not just like we used to, because actually, if you really want to grow, you can't just do it in an hour and a bit on a Sunday. And I'll, I'll just be honest with you, if that's the extent of your growth, you've got a very small ceiling on your growth as a Christian. We want to find ways, and we are making them happen right now, for you to be able to grow in all the ways that God wants you to. And we're going to be putting together more courses, more possibilities for you to not just be a hearer of the word, but to be one who puts it into practice. But right now, let me read First Timothy chapter 2, and then... I will come and uh, tell you a little bit more about the passage. Live. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And godliness. <laughs> I don't know what's happened there. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, clothing, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn. Underline that bit. Write it big. Let a woman learn. Quietly with all submissiveness. I'm going to come back to that before you turn off and start throwing things at me. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Eve, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Exercise self-control for a minute, because now I'm going to come and try and tell you a little bit about why this does not mean necessarily what our 21st century eyes and ears might originally think it does mean. 
please get your Bible open at the passage. I've kept on asking you to, have you done it yet? Because if you're just going to not do what, you know, if you're not going to look at the Bible for yourself, we're all wasting a lot of time. So get your Bible open and do the work of digging into this with me with an open Bible and thinking it through for yourself because I've tried to do that. And I want to give you what I can to help you to grasp my thoughts and what this seems to be saying versus what I believe it actually says. Now, if you've been with, if you were here last week in chapter one, if you've read that, we asked people to read chapter one and chapter two. Chapter one, Timothy's been talking about false teachers in the church and he names, he literally names two men, two men. But then it seems here, he starts saying that the way that you protect the church is do not allow women to teach or to lead and then he kind of says something, it seems and sounds a little bit like only the, the good ones are the only ones that have babies. And you're like, what? What is he talking about? What sense does that actually make? It's illogical for him to think that. He's thrown two bad men out. So now, stop women teaching. It can't be what it seems like so and the problem is we're in grave danger of misinterpreting and misrepresenting here something huge not just because it's mother's day not just because it's international women's week but because despite the patriarchal culture at work in bible times there are so many women in the bible who do lead and do teach and and have done that for god and they're all the way through scripture so here's Miriam, you can read about, leading alongside, alongside Moses. Then you have a woman called Holder, the prophet, who counsels the priests and teaches the king about God. There's Deborah who judges. There's Esther who saves the whole nation. There's numerous women disciples who supported Jesus. And it was women who were the first entrusted with the most important good news ever, that Jesus is alive. They were the first witnesses to tell everybody that the Saviour has risen. And then after the Spirit was poured out on all flesh, sons and daughters, there's Philip's daughters, four of them, who are bringing the Word of God. And there's Priscilla, who it says, instructed Apollos more perfectly. And that's in Acts, but it's also in Ephesus, where Timothy is. In Romans, Paul calls Phoebe an overseer, and he talks about a woman called Junia. And he says that she is outstanding among the apostles she's an outstanding apostle and of course there's Lewis Lois and Eunice who in Acts chapter 16 you read they taught Timothy that was his mum and his grandmother as we've said so why would Paul having talking about two men who were getting it wrong then apparently right and so the answer to stop false teaching is don't let women teach Writing something that actually, because of misinterpretation, for 2,000 years has been used by men, I might say, to clobber women into submission at worst, to relegate them to help in Sunday school at best. Could it be that rather... Here's the reason we've got it wrong, because we've read the rest of Scripture, or some people have read the rest of Scripture through the lens of these two difficult verses rather than read the other way around. Read and actually in the light of the rest of the Bible, look at what these passages say. This is a serious passage to grab hold of. The, the, the implications of it are huge because getting it wrong means a lot can go wrong. If you believe wrong, you're going to end up with wrong actions and it has gone wrong. It still does. And I was so grateful when Pete Edwards 
uh, one of the pillars of Ivy Church, reached out to me to say in the week that his grow group had done a sneak preview, accidentally kind of took a sneak peek ahead at the video that's there on Right Now Media, where the guy teaching on that for the grow groups says exactly that. I haven't watched it yet. I'll do it with my grow group when I can, if I can do it this week. But apparently, he says, the Bible here says women can't lead and they certainly can't teach men. And so I was, they reached out to me and I was asked, is, that's not what Ivy believes, is it? So why are we putting it right now media on? Again, the answer is, for me, I hadn't looked at it, so I didn't know. But the answer also for me, with regard to that's not what Ivy believes, is, well, that's not what I believe, but Ivy is not a woman. Ivy is not a person. Ivy is a, a, a community. Ivy is a growing community of people. And yes, I've met Ivy people over the years who would believe that, by the way. And they think it is scriptural to do so. People, part of Ivy, believe all kinds of things about all kinds of things, and that's the world we live in. And I don't think that we grow very well by only listening to people that agree with us. I can't agree with that interpretation, not on the basis of a couple of difficult-to-translate verses in, in the, just these the, the two main words of which only occur here in the whole of the Bible that interpretations of those words and those verses seem to fly in the face of all the other positives about women in scripture I can't agree that it means that and of course women preach here women lead here at every level but the question came up should we say to people uh, don't watch the video but again how do we grow just by listening to people that we agree with no, again, people disagree. Get over it. The fact is, we need to know. You need to know because thousands of churches, millions of people around the world, Christians, evangelical churches who say they love the Bible because they say they believe the Bible and they love the Bible, they believe that women should not lead or teach too. And it's mostly based on these verses. So, you know, if you ask why they don't believe, they're going to straighten their ties because chances are they'll be wearing them and then they're going to open up their big leather Bibles and if they've never underlined any other verse in the Bible, you can bet this one will be highlighted and starred to show I'm not chauvinist. Some of my best friends are women, by the way. It's just right there in the Bible. You see, what you believe will lead to what you, how you behave. And as a result, 50% of the army stays at home. 50% of the players are left on the bench and we wonder why we lose. So we do have to engage with this misunderstanding. I believe it's a total misunderstanding behind this. And, we've got, and so to do this for you, I'm asking you to pray and to seek the Lord and to think about this and to love God with your mind, with your heart, with everything that you've got. And you know what? I haven't got time to go into all the detail I'd want to on why I believe that men that teach that are dead wrong. But it's not my job to tell you everything. And you wouldn't grow much again if I did. You don't, we don't grow by being baby birds with mouths open and somebody else chews on the word and then you just put it in your mouth. You need to think, what do I believe about this? What do I think? And I'll be honest, what, what I, when I say, I used to believe similar to what the guy on the video in the week believed. Why? Because that is what men taught me. Good men. Men I respected 20 odd years ago, but then I read it myself. And, and I 
I thought, it doesn't seem to make sense. And I, and I discussed it with others. And I looked at the context of what it was. And then I did some study. And I actually had some experience working in churches with some incredible women and being equipped by actual women myself. And I looked at the history and I looked at the archaeology and I found out about Ephesus and who this letter was being addressed to at the time and what the religious practices were in place, who Paul was writing to, what he was writing into. And it opened up a whole different understanding and interpretation, some of which will unravel in the weeks ahead as we look at who gets to lead in church and who gets to serve in church. And that starts next week. So do go to Grow Group. And if you want to, watch the video and agree with it or disagree with it. Listen to me now, agree or disagree with me, but go to the Bible and submit to it. Learn with silent submission, whether you are male or female. See, Pete also then sent me a link to a book by last week's speaker, Lucy Pepiot, who some of you may have noticed was not a man, where she addresses this too. But I've had quite the week in various ways, so I didn't get a chance to look at that myself yet, but I, I hope to soon. And it's called Rediscovering Scripture's View for Women. And again, if you say this matters to you and is important to you, get the book. Read Lucy's book. Look at what the Bible says alongside that. Weigh this one or two verses that have gagged women for centuries against the rest of what the Bible has to say about women and leadership. But really briefly, here's my take. As I say, in chapter 1, Paul's had to throw some men out, a couple of men, for heresy. He names them false teachers. He names them and shames them because people who are put into a position of leadership, as public leadership, and especially leadership in the name of God, the Bible says these teachers will be held to a higher standard. And that is right. And we're going to talk more about why that's right next week. Because the thing is, there will be false teachers. There will be false leaders in the church. It's nothing new. There are shepherds and there are hirelings and there are wolves and there are snakes. And we've got to watch out and, not, and we've got to learn to discern. So much of what this is all going to be about is, have you learned to discern yet? See, in the end, you'll find out whether it's a wolf or not. But maybe by that time, it's already gone right through the pack and made a horrible mess therein. Paul's warning Timothy here, look out for the wolves in the Ephesian church, not outside of it, in the church. Years before, in Acts chapter 20, he stood with those, the leaders, the new leaders of the church, and he prophesied to them as he left them, as he was getting into a boat. He said, watch out, after I leave here, wolves are going to come in. God, show me that. You've got to be careful. You have to be aware. You have to learn to discern. So now, chapter 2, what do you do? Now you know that this is happening. He says, I urge you, therefore, pray like first pray I urge you get on your knees and pray pray for the church see some of the false teachers trying to take over were what were later known as Gnostics now that's not a type of glue Gnos Gnosis is Greek for knowledge and Gnostics were all about secret higher knowledge, mysteries. We're going to see more about that in the weeks ahead. They said that to be truly wise, you had to pass through this layer and this spiritual portal to learn the deep secrets. And, and it wasn't just Jesus pure and simple. No, and, as we, and as we, also the Gnostics, you need to know this, they hated 
authority. They wanted to be leaders, it says, even though they didn't know what they were talking about themselves. They wanted followers, but they hated leaders. They hated godly authority. So Paul says, pray, and he says, pray for everyone, but especially pray for leaders. Do you pray for leaders? Do you pray for me? When did you last pray for me? Please pray for me. And then he'd say, pray for the royals. Whatever you think about it, pray about it. Whatever you post on Facebook about it, pray about it. Pray for the government. Whatever you think about the government, pray for them. And maybe we get the leaders we pray for. We get the leaders we deserve because we get the leaders we pray for. If you want to remember how you should pray, I've got a little acronym that comes out of, the, out of this in the ESV. You, when you, you want to pray for them, spit. Because it goes, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. There you go, spit, that'll help you to remember. That's how you should pray for everybody, especially those in authority. And then he says, pray so that we'll have freedom for the gospel. Pray that we'll, have, we'll be able to have peace to be able to lead godly lives. It's there again. Verse five, you got your Bible open, look at this. Paul says there's only one God. Even in Ephesus, where there are so many idols, where there are shrines and temples here and there, it's one of the most religious places on earth, Ephesus. And it's all about goddesses. It's all about the mother god. Artemis or Diana, if you're Roman. The earliest shrine was said to have been set up by Amazons. And I don't mean it was delivered in a brown box. I mean those like mighty, legendary women, wonder women types. And the whole region worshipped female, matriarchal, maternal goddesses. Archaeology demonstrates this really clearly. There are statues all over the place that still remain. Isis, you could call it, or Artemis, or Diana. Ephesus was full of shrines. For the, it was the capital city of mother worship, of mother god worship. Her temple was one of the seven wonders of the world, the temple of Artemis. And in religion there, women reigned and ruled supreme. Women priests, women high priests, wise women and oracles. To pray, whether you were male or female, you had to go into the special building. You had to go into the temple. You couldn't just pray everywhere. And when you went in, there were women in charge and they danced or babbled nonsense or, or kind of took their clothes off and everybody got intoxicated together and there were these fertility rituals and out of these kind of ecstatic ceremonies, secret mysteries of wisdom would be revealed for the initiated. Women ruled religion at Ephesus because women actually were the only mediators to the goddesses the female deities if you were a man the best way to show your devotion to the mother god there in Ephesus was to be castrated to become more like a woman you couldn't just come to god only through girls only through women was the will of Artemis ever going to be revealed? Vestal virgins, ranks of priestesses, you paid them an offering or kind of rolled around with them a little bit. And then after that, you, you were able to connect in the spirits to all these hundreds of other spirits and demigods and intermediaries, etc. But you know what Paul says? Look what he says. He says, no, 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 no. There is one God and one mediator, the, literally the human Christ Jesus. 
Paul says, Jesus is the only one who can save us, the human Christ, whether we are male or female. He's the only one who can bring us back to God without sin and shame. And he tells Timothy, I want you to remember this and I want you to remind everybody of who the Saviour is. And this isn't anti-women because it's not about all women. It's anti-some women at some time, in some place, who were causing some trouble by coming into that church and trying to make those simple house church meetings, they wanted to make them like what went on in the pagan temples and say, this is what Christians should do. And again, verse 8, read with me, look at it. Paul says, no, I want the men to pray everywhere you don't just have to go into temples no special buildings if you think this if the only way you can worship God is in a building you need to look and think about your own spirituality and your own connection to God he says you can pray anywhere now and pray and do it without arguing without quarreling typical male things actually he's, he's referencing there when he talks about the men he says instead of shaking your fist lift holy hands and I want the women to pray likewise pray likewise with holy hands and tell them Everybody, you need to do it decently. Like, keep your clothes on now. It's okay, because we're Christians here. And whatever you put on, don't try and do it to impress anybody else, because God doesn't look at the outer. He looks at the inner, the godly reality, not the fashionable image we might want to shape. Verse 11 is, for me, stunningly feminist. So that's why I said to underline it. You know, this is incredible for the time in which it was written. Let a woman learn and that is a command let the women study let the women learn that's huge in the ancient world and in many places around the world now and again often for religious reasons it doesn't happen that the women are not allowed to learn but we have this guy called Jesus who was a rabbi and he taught and had disciples male and female and he had, he had Mary come and she sat at his feet, which was the posture of a learner, of a disciple. She came and sat at her feet. Rather than staying in the kitchen with Martha, she came out of the kitchen and sat at Jesus' feet. And he said, she's chosen the better thing. Let a woman learn. Let a, God wants women to learn. He wants women to be disciples. And there's actually an Eastern idiom here when a disciple wants to learn how to lead when a disciple wants to learn how to be a rabbi themselves do you know how you should approach the word of God you know how in silent submission let the women learn like the rabbis in silent submission and then we come to the big one that's put a stop on our sisters way too long and maybe if we pray now if we uh, I urge you to pray maybe something can change in the church maybe stuff is going I mean shaken enough in the world right now could we dare to believe it could actually happen in the church and I want it at Ivy for sure and I know that the elders want it too because being a woman is no more a disqualification than being a man is a qualification for God using you. The ESV reads, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. Wow. Now, that's a problem if it means no men should ever teach or lead, no, no women should ever teach or lead men. The problem is, if, it's, if that's what it actually means, it contradicts various scriptures, as I've already said throughout the Bible, and it even contradicts other places where Paul himself says that women should. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul gave instructions on how the women should prophesy in that church. In Titus, he writes that older women should be teachers of excellence. So how can he be talking about all women? Or is it certain women there in Ephesus who are attempting to bring in false pagan teaching and practices, satanically inspired, we find out, with angry men raising fists in support of them and rebelling against godly authority to take over. That's a problem. In verse 12, literally, it says here, I do not allow a woman to teach, and the word then is authentane. Very, very unusual Greek word. It's used only once in the, here, in the, in the Bible. This is it. Originally, it meant murder in such a way as to take over. It's like you kill somebody to take their place. It, it meant rule over, dominate, seize control, usurp authority over. That's how it, the King James Version translates it, usurp authority. It says, I don't allow a woman to do that. And you know what? I think that's right. I don't think that should be permitted. Isn't it true, do you not agree, that a woman should never teach in a way that dominates or takes power away from a man? I agree. And, and, isn't it true that a man should never teach, especially the Bible, in such a way that it dominates or takes power away from a woman, a daughter of the king. But which way round has this usually gone wrong since then? See, in Ephesus, the church at that time was in danger because some false teachers, including women, who he doesn't name, were saying, women should rule. Women should dominate. Only women can be good leaders. Only women can mediate in religious matters in relation to God. And Paul says, no, women shouldn't. Men shouldn't. Women can't mediate. Men can't mediate. Everybody gets it wrong, but there's one mediator, the human Christ Jesus. He's the one. He's our connection to God. And women shouldn't put themselves first. Even though Gnostics say women are the founts of all knowledge, they get it wrong too, he says, like Eve did and Adam did. Women and men both need to learn so we won't get fooled again. We need to learn to discern. But finally, how's this for another way of translating that very weird last verse on this mother in Sunday? But she will be saved. Women and men, we can all be saved, not through childbearing, as some translations say. That's nowhere else in the Bible. You don't get saved by motherhood. Or heaven would be a mum's group. But to actually translate the last part here, it says, but she will be saved through the birth of the child. What child? Who's the child that came to save us? Who's the son of God? Who's the only mediator between God and man? It's the human Christ Jesus who we worship. And the band are going to come up and do that and help us to do that. Men and women are going to lead us in worship. Let's pray now and direct we can come to the one God. We can approach the throne of grace. That one God who rules over all the demigods. And we can worship in spirit and in truth. And we need to. 
And Lord, thank you that you inspired your Bible. Thank you that you inspired the Apostle Paul to write these words in your word for us. Thank you that you inspired him to write the glorious truths also that there is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And Lord, now we come to you, male and female, sons and daughters, in silent submission. Take a moment of silent submission. And Lord, we say we want to keep on learning from you and about you and share and teach others how they can come to know you too and love you too as we do. Guard and protect and watch over your church. Help us, Lord, to learn to discern. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.